Greetings, comrades, and welcome to the Eastern Border. Well, first of all, in this news episode, I'd like to say that I have no idea who is right in the Elon Musk case. Because, you know, everyone has probably heard that Elon Musk supposedly turned off the Starlink, the internet system for the Crimean Peninsula, to kind of, um, you know, disrupt the Ukrainian counterattack or something. Now, he himself responded that he had just never turned it on or anything like that. But um, it's still a bit weird because we have confirmation that he actually did turn it off in uh, autumn 2022 for a bit to stall things because uh, he thought that would do something better. I don't even know. What's interesting is that he is still a United States government contractor, which is um, a bit bizarre. I don't understand Mr. Musk's things that he's doing right here. He believes he's some sort of peacemaker while he really isn't. That's just uh, kind of strange, though. But uh, today today I wanted to make a news episode because it's uh, time for this so-called election thing happening in Russia. thing is, they're forcing people in the occupied territories to vote also, which they are going to use as an example of legitimacy, which is going to be posted all over the place. But uh, about everything in order. See, September the 8th is the first day of Russia's regional and municipal elections in both Russia and annexed territories. Voting will last from September 8th to September 10th, according to Russian Central Election Commission, headed by our good friend on the show that you've heard many times about, Ella Pamfilova. Elections began on Friday in 54 regions, including Crimea, the self-declared Donetsk and Luhansk republics, People's Republics, quote-unquote, and, uh, of course, Ukraine's annexed Zaporizhia and the Kherson regions. These people, you know, those who refused to vote, uh, about 400 of them got put into lists and were arrested, mind you, because there, you know, they're forcing you to vote just to drive up this legitimacy number, which is just crazy if you think about it, but uh, it is what it is. Residents in about 30 other regions will also go to the polls this weekend, ending with the country's so-called Unified Voting Day on September the 10th. There's also early voting, which began earlier, but not really, no, no one really cares about that. Russia's Central Election Committee will pretend that they're holding for about 4,000 elections at various levels over the next three days. These elections are like held in all the regions and everything, and according to the commission, 21 regions, including Moscow, will elect governors. Elect, again, it's going to be fake completely. 16 regions will elect regional legislators and 12 regional capitals will elect municipal deputies. Three regions, Kharchai, Cherkessia, Krasnoyarsk and Lipetsk, will hold by-elections for the state Duma and the city of Khabarovsk will elect mayor. The Russian authorities have postponed two elections in areas in the Bolgorod region that have frequently came under attack from across the Ukrainian border, which makes sense, but nothing else they do actually does. 25 regions will have an option for online voting which, by the way, they bought from Estonia and then they corrupted completely, including Moscow, the Moscow region, Chuvash Republic, and many others. Basically, as many as 22 million voters may take part in online elections. And, uh, yeah, El Panfilov says that these were targeted by about 5,000 cyber attacks uh, after they went live this year, but that's obviously a, a lie. Well, obviously, the results of many of this these elections are foregone conclusions, there are a few races whose outcomes are, well, actually interesting. 
The local parliamentary elections in Yakutia and the Nenets Autonomous District are worth watching because as those were the only regions where the Communist Party beat the ruling United Russia Party in 2021. Accordingly, less than 50% of uh, these regions that voters voted in favor for amending the Russian constitution in 2020. There's also the Irkutsk region where the Communist Party traditionally receives a high percentage of the vote. In the Zabaykaisky Legislative Assembly election, United Russia won only 28% of the vote, while the Communist Party and the far-right Liberal Democratic Party of Russia, the one where Seber Zhirinovsky is a member, won 24.6% each. This weekend's vote will also be the first one that Russia holds elections in the annexed Donetsk and Luhansk People's Republics and the annexed regions in Zaporizhia and Kherson. Each of which will elect members to the, this so-called parliament that they have, Gosduma, basically. The CEC, Central Election Committee, reported on September the 7th that 45% of voters cast their ballots early in the so-called DNR. 26% voted early in the Luhansk, 28% early in Zaporizhia, and 53% voted early in the Kherson region. Of course, most of these votes are totally fake. And according to the head of the Occupation Administration in the Zaporozhye region, Yevgeny Balitsky, foreign observers will be monitoring elections, including from friendly countries uh, yeah, out, outside of the former Soviet Union. Which means that uh, North Korea basically is going to happen to this and come and watch all, all this stuff. The occupied authorities in the Ukraine's annex regions decided to hold elections in spite of the ongoing fighting and uh, on the first day of voting, they of course reported shelling. On Friday, by the way, United States Secretary Antony Blinken said that Washington will never recognize the results of elections conducted by Russia on Ukraine's annexed territories, but, you know, they might as well just not recognize elections anywhere, because they are all a complete sham. The most interesting race, however, is the uh, gubernatorial race in Kharkasia. State Duma deputy and United Russia member Sergei Sokol withdrew from the race one week before the start of voting, citing health problems. Meanwhile, Valentin Konovalov, the head of the region who won by picking up the protest vote in 2018, is running for re-election. And uh, in Moscow, the residents will vote for a mayor and deputies in the 13 municipalities that make up the new Moscow. Voting began online and at more than 2,000 polling sites at 8 a.m. on September the 8th, and this will last until 8 p.m. on September the 10th. More than 2 million cash prizes, ranging from 1,000 rubles, $10, Oh, sorry, $100, and f to 5,000 rubles, um, that's $50, will be raffled to, oh, yeah, sorry, uh, ranging from 1,000 rubles, which is $10, to 5,000 rubles, which is $50, will be raffled to online voters, because you have to get your, you know, things out there somehow. More than 500,000 people cast their votes in the first four hours of online voting, according to the official media. And, of course, jailed opposition politician Alexei Navalny has called on voters to cast their ballots for, quote, any candidate who's against United Russia. In a post on his blog, Navalny wrote, go to the elections with the goal of doing the maximum amount of harm possible to the party of power and its candidates. I disagree with this because I believe that, uh, that there's no point. Like, you're playing cards with someone who's obviously cheating. At the same time, again, sadly, not much news from the front, but... We have to get on with it somehow. Russia's foreign ministry said on Friday that Armenia's government has taken a series of unfriendly steps in recent days that the agency summoned the Armenian ambassador to Russia, Vahagarsk Kharchunyan, which apparently is his name, sorry about that, to express his discontent. 
The ministry's statement listed the unfriendly steps, which included Yerevan's recent move towards ratifying the Rome Statue, the document that established International Criminal Court. They also remi reminded Armenia about their recent announcement that it will provide hum humanitarian assistance to Ukraine and the country's decision to host joint military exercises with the United States troops next week, which is, by the way, interesting since they have truly been Russia's ally for a long, long time. But while we are on the subject of unfriendly steps, well, see the Russian authorities. They have been pretty open about the fact that Wagner Group the folks that we know all too well here in this podcast have recruited thousands of Russian prisoners. Russian President Putin personally pardoned them in July 2022. Four months later, in October 2022, Russia's defense ministry began to offer contracts to convicts. Many of the mercenaries and volunteers have already returned home and have gone back to their life of crime. And, uh, well, we know some repeat offenders and their stories, which I think need to be heard, because we will have a bit more stories later on today. First off, we have Artyom Gretzky. He was 22 years old, still is, and he was arrested for robbery and murder of a senior citizen. Before being sent to Ukraine, Gretzky was under probation and sexual violence case. Police didn't follow him too closely, however. That's what allowed him to volunteer for the Tirek Battalion and go to Ukraine in October. According to the Telegram channel Baza, Gretzky robbed a Dacia and killed a 71-year-old woman upon his return in March 2023. He was convicted of murder and robbery. The police officers who had been tasked with tracking him are now being charged with negligence. Then there's Ivan Rossomahin. He was arrested for murdering an 85-year-old woman. In 2020, Rossomahin was sentenced for, to for 14 years in a penal colony for killing a resident from his village of Novi Buryats. While he was serving out his sentence, he signed a contract with the Wagner Group and was sent to the front. He then returned to Novi Buryats. According to local residents, Rossomachin walked down the street armed with pitchforks, hitting cars with axes and threatening to, quote-unquote, kill everyone. The police arrested him on charges of hooliganism and promised the village's residents that he would be put on a train, quote, with all his belongings so he'd get out of here, upon his release on March 28th. He never went anywhere. According to Baza, the very next day he stabbed an 85-year-old woman to death in neighboring town. He then turned himself in and was arrested. Also, we have Alexander Mamayev, 44 years old, arrested for murdering his wife. Mamayev volunteered to fight in the war, serving as a deputy leader of a platoon. After his contract ended, he returned home to his wife and two children, six and seven-year-old sons. On April 17th, Mamayev, his wife and brother got together to drink and celebrate. According to local outlet NN.ru, citing a neighboring family, they, quote, drank heavily for about four days. According to Mamayev, he fell asleep during a meal and then woke up from the feeling of his wife pulling at his pocket where he kept his money. He grabbed the knife and stabbed his wife in the chest right in front of their children. She managed to call an ambulance but died before it arrived. Mamayev called the police and admitted to the murder. A criminal case was opened against him and he was arrested. Their relatives refused to take in the couple's children and they were sent to a boarding school. Ramil Asano, 43, accused of robbing a saleswoman. Asanov was serving a 19-year-old, 19-year sentence in the penal colony of the Ulyanovsk region for killing his elderly parents. In 2010, Asanov came home drunk and his father blamed him for not paying child support for his two younger children. Asanov then hit him with a crowbar and later, later strangled his mother. He buried his parents' bodies in the woods. Between August 2022 and March 2023, he fought in Ukraine as part of Wagner Group before coming to Lipetsk. 
According to the investigation, Asanov broke into a hardware store. He then threatened the 28-year-old saleswoman, stole her phone, and ran away. Police were able to quickly arrest him and open a criminal case against him for robbery. He now faces 10 years in penal colony. Sergei S., 42 years old, accused of raping a 10-year-old girl. According to the confession from the former prisoner, who fought with Wagner Group in Ukraine, Sergei met a 10-year-old girl and a 12-year-old girl at the school in Bersk. He began to threaten the girls with a grenade and a gun, and said that he would blow them up if they screamed. Then he took them behind the garage and raped the younger girl. After being detained, Sergei admitted to the crime. Wagner Group founder Yevgeny Prigozhin, back, back when he was still alive, by the way, confirmed his participation in the mercenary organization. He's now facing between 5 and 12 years in prison for sexual violence, which is still less than, you know, political activists get. Alexei G., 39 years old, accused of battery of a 9-year-old girl. Alexei was serving a sentence for murdering and causing grievous bodily harm when he was sent to Ukraine as part of the Wagner Group. After this contract finished, he resettled at his sister's dacha to the north of Tolyati in the Samar region. While his sister was there, he behaved normally. He tried to kick his alcoholism and find a job. Then, Alexei's sister went to the Angst Crimea. According to the investigation, when a nine-year-old girl who was friends with Alexei's nephew came by, he invited her for an ice cream. Then he beat her head against the floor, dragged her into the bath, poured cold water over her, and continued to beat her. The girl survived, Alexei was arrested. Again, five to twelve years prison for kidnapping, unable to explain his actions. Igor Safonov, 37 years old, arrested for murdering six people. Safonov was serving time for murder, robbery, mugging, and burglary. In 2022, he was sent to the front lines to fight, but guess who? Again, the Wagner Group, of course. Whom else? According to local residents of Derivianoe, he started drinking heavily upon his return. On August the 1st, the bodies of six people were found at two houses in the village of Derivianoe. According to the investigation, Safonov and his 38-year-old accomplice, Maxim Bochkarev, killed two men, a father and son, in the first house. In the second house, they killed a woman and three men. All of them died of stab wounds. Safonov and Bochkarev burned down the houses in order to conceal the crime and then ran away. They were both detained six hours later. Karelia's Regional Investigative Committee opened a criminal case, murder case involving two or more people. In court, Safonov repeatedly said that he fought in Ukraine and was injured. Bohayev pleaded not guilty. On August the 2nd, as requested by investigator, the court placed them both in detention for two months. Andrei K. and Fyodor P., 28 and 39, accused of beating and robbing a neighbor. Andrei and Fyodor returned to Tuchheft after finishing their contract with, again, Wagner Group in May 2023. The local police immediately put them under police observation due to their criminal records. Andrei had a drug possession charge, while Fyodor had been charged causing grievous bo- about co- causing grievous bodily harm. Nah, these terms in English are a bit difficult, to be honest, I'm sorry. According to the investigation, together with a 32-year-old Rabitorom K. from Krasnoyarsk, they attacked their 43-year-old neighbor. They beat him and they stole 30,000 rubles, around $305, from him. They also stole two sets of camouflage uniforms and boots. They were charged with robbery and were arrested. Alexei Hlebnikov, 35 years old, accused of raping his 13-year-old niece. In 2018, Hlebnikov was prosecuted for theft and robbery. In 2018, he was sentenced to 11 years in a high-security penal colony for murdering an acquaintance. He signed a contract with Wagner Group and then returned to Rosnovsky. According to the investigation, he raped and threatened his 13-year-old niece with a knife in the forest not far from Rosnovsky, 
On August 15, 2023, Hlebnikov was put on a wanted list. On August 29, court websites showed that he is to be detained until October. He is pleaded not guilty. Alexei Kostromin, suspected of, rape, suspected of raping a woman, 24. Kostromin is a former Federal Penitentiary Service officer who was serving a sentence for beating a 20-year-old acquaintance to death with a hammer in December 2020. At the start of Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine, he joined Wagner Group and went to the front lines. Upon his return, he brutally beat and raped a 26-year-old woman, according to the investigation. She was taken to the hospital with an open traumatic brain injury, cerebral contusion, stab wounds to her neck and fractures. Kostromin is now wanted by the police. woman is in intensive care. And Sergei U, 28 years old, accused of killing an acquaintance. According to the investigation, Sergei is a former Wagner Group mercenary, no surprises there, who was previously serving time for murder and robbery before being sent to Ukraine. On August 29th, he stabbed his drinking buddy, 37-year-old Roman M, to death. The police found the body with numerous stab wounds, with two knives and a bottle of vodka next to it. A criminal case has been opened against him. It is unknown whether he has been arrested or not. But this is it. This is the criminalization of Russia, which has happened and will happen onwards. People are just coming back and it's going insane. There is no law again anymore. Remember that one. Meantime, a man from Sevastopol, 21 years old, was just charged with desecrating the Russian flag on Thursday after he stepped on the flag at the base of a monument in Sevastopol, that's in Crimea, Artillery Bay. Ministry statement says, before the offender had a negative attitude, sorry, because the offender had a negative attitude towards the conduct of special military operation, so-called, in the territory of Ukraine, he decided to express his disagreement and kick the fabric of the flag as well as the objects placed on it. According to the Telegram channel Baza, the flag was part of a makeshift memorial to the Wagner Group founders Evgeny Prigozhin and Dmitry Utkin, the same Wagner Group where the previous guys had served in. On August 25th, the channel reported Sevastopol resident Gleb Malkov kicked the men's portraits which were set atop of a Russian flag. The witnesses began to shout at him. He reportedly fled the scene but was arrested soon after. Russian police in Sevastopol published a montage of the video footage related to the case. In one of the clips, very much beaten up, Malkov says that he kicked the monument because Russia attacked his country, adding that Sevastopol is Ukraine. In another, he says that he did out of hostility towards the special military operation, that he regrets his actions, and that he wants to apologize to all the residents of the city of Sevastopol. But you know, we all know who needs to apologize and who's gonna face some serious things. Meanwhile, a court in Nikolayevsk on Amur has registered felony charges against a local man accused of repeatedly discrediting the Russian military in posts and social media. The defendant in the case is a 54-year-old construction worker and a former police officer named Sergei Kalab, whose son, Nikita Kovalenko, died while fighting in Ukraine. See, on February 21st, 2023, Kalab shared an anti-war TikTok video in his WhatsApp group chat. When he posted the content, there were 80 people in the group. The video reportedly featured a woman saying, Ladies, why are you sending your children to war? Go to the defense ministry and tell them to take them out of there. And go back to Russia, where crimes happen now. When Kalab posted the video, it reached Stepan Prihodonko, a local police lieutenant who joined the group using an invitation hyperlink. Two days later, police officers informed Kalab that he was now a suspect in criminal case for repeatedly discrediting Russia's army as if there is much left to discredit. Before the end of the month, state investigators raided Kalab's home and interrogated him. 
a judge has imposed pre-trial restrictions prohibiting Kalab from certain activities, including internet access. Yes, they do that even in Russia. But they can't even find all of their murderers. If found guilty, he would face up to five years in prison. That's the minimum the murderers can get. Kalab has already been convicted once for discrediting Russia's army. In August 2020, sorry, 2022, the Nikolaevsk on the Moor city court fined him 30,000 rubles, about $300, for disseminating negative comments about the war in Ukraine. All this stuff just included 378 screenshots from Kalab's WhatsApp group chat and numerous videos and statements he had made over a three-month period. It's all insane. His son, who was 32 at the time, joined the Russian army, he was an officer, and was killed in Ukraine in March 2022. Kalab told journalists that he hadn't communicated for a long time with his son before his death. See, thinking differently is really, really terrible. It's just something that you just you can't do in Russia. But to top things off, well, I wanted to give you some more people's stories besides all this very depressing stuff. See, the, the upcoming school year is expected to bring a surge of propaganda in Russia's educational institutions, surpassing any previous period in modern history. Events, lectures, ceremonies in support of the war are set to be combined with new state-approved curriculums, including a new unified history textbook for high schoolers that has a chapter on the invasion of Ukraine. Now, my colleagues of Medusa, because sadly I don't have the chances myself, reached out to readers and asked in, Ru in Russia and asked, you know, parents of them who send their kids back on school on September the 1st, as we do, that's the education day, to share their strategies for safeguarding their children against propaganda. Because, you know, a lot of them just despise the whole situation. And they published some of the responses. Not going to go through all of them, but some of them are interesting. Varvara from St. Petersburg. Mother of a 3-year-old, an 8-year-old, an 11-year-old, and a 16-year-old. Quote, Propaganda comes from the upper echelons. They force schools to have important conversations. Flag-raising ceremonies, educational advisors, youth army groups. But these innovations are not welcomed amongst, amongst teachers or school directors and are treated with total disregard. My children don't go to these important conversations lessons. I let them skip assemblies and any other events that will involve propaganda or glorification of the war. To avoid the issues with the new history syllabus, my kids decided not to pick history and social or social studies as options for the unified state exam. We decided instead to study 20th century history at home, looking at different views of historical events and how our ancestors lived in that period. Then there's Yelena from Moscow, mother of a 15-year-old and a 17-year-old. I'm concerned, but I'm not afraid of the propaganda. I have precautious and intelligent children. I believe that if, over the last year and a half of the war, or perhaps even longer than that, a fa our family has prioritized the right values and nurtured trusting relationships. And then, then propaganda needn't be frightening, frightening at all. Anastasia, from Kolomna, mother of a 10-year-old. Propaganda in schools is unacceptable, and I try my best to fight it. Officially, your child doesn't have to go to important conversations lessons. I'm writing a letter to the director about it, providing references to the current legislation and saying that my child will, will, will arrive at school for the class after independent, important conversations. We'll study history at home using Tamara's Eidelman lectures on Maxim Katz's YouTube videos. I simply won't let them turn our children into pawns for the Russian military. You can always come up with an excuse for not letting them attend classes. An urgent doctor's appointment, for example. Daria from Kirov, mother of a seven-year-old. The authorities are cunning. No matter how hard you try at home to keep your kids away from propaganda, they will still absorb what they are told in school. 
and there will likely be children in the class whose parents support the war. This leaves other parents with very little hope of countering the propaganda. I went to a meeting for parents in the spring and realized that I couldn't send my children to that school anymore. My husband and I decided to homeschool them. We enrolled our children in an online school. There are no important conversations lessons there. They are just provided with real educational material. Yar, St. Petersburg. Sooner or later, the war, the war will end, and the entire period that my child spent at school will have been totally wasted. It's scary to imagine what these specially educated children will grow up to be. In the best-case scenario, they'll let the information go in one ear and out of the other. But what if they take, they take it in? I took my child out of school at the start of the last academic year, which is totally legal. This year we plan to do the same thing, and I'll just edit her curriculum. Maria, Kaluga, older sister of a 14-year-old. I don't think propaganda will influence most students. The school has little to no authority over the children, and no one really pays much attention to the teacher's opinion anyway. Most children studying history will only go up to World War I, so very few will have to study the history of modern Russia. Alexei Novosibirsk, father of an 8-year-old and a 10-year-old. I don't really see any point of introducing propaganda among school children. Where's the benefit for the regime? Parents have much greater influence on a child than tedious patriotic lessons. As a rule, children gain an understanding of what's going on via their home environment. This was the case with Soviet propaganda, after all. And finally, Natalia from Moscow, mother of an 8-year-old and a 14-year-old. Over the last year, there has only been one lesson where the special military operation in Ukraine were discussed. Even then, the children were simply told, the special military operation is underway, our thoughts go to the military, let's support them. That's all it was. I don't personally plan on doing anything because there isn't any propaganda in our school. All the important conversations classes have been on the very general topics, such as ecology, society, history and literature. I don't see anything particularly pernicious in this. Now, I wonder, what will Maria say when she meets someone who's come back home from the Wagner Group? But, yeah, that's about it for today. Thank you for listening. Please, if you like the episode, consider, consider becoming our patrons on patreon.com slash easternborder or clicking the donate button on the easternborder.lv. On both of these feeds, you can listen to our shows completely ad-free. By the way, lately, since the previous one, for weird reasons, I really don't know why, exactly why, why this is happening now, but um, yeah, we've been attacked repeatedly. We got smashed by spam comments. Someone is really listening in to everything that we do here. I'm really glad. Maybe some of those assholes will finally learn something useful to them, because it's just so bizarre. Again, I already have like, 1,200 comments about everything that's happening. Just crazy. Glad that everyone's happy in my Discord and that Patreon's doing fine. Again, if you can, please do support the show. Much appreciated. But uh, so far, well, what else is there to say? And as always, remember, happiness is mandatory.